Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. I love technology. Uh, I know that there's some people that hate technology and, and some people that love technology. I, I love it. And I'm kind of nerdy about it. I, one of my favorite things to do is to actually set up new technology, whether it's a new TV or a, a new computer. Um, I, it's, it's crazy to think about all the advances of, of technology as well throughout the years. It, it seems like every single year, Technology advances, technology levels up, it, it becomes a better version. Phones, computers, cars, watches, it's, it's wild. One technology that has leveled up quite a bit throughout the years is how we get directions, right? Anyone remember these? Oh yeah. Everybody had one of these. If you were trying to get someplace, you needed directions. Usually most dads would have them and they'd have them in the trunk and rarely use them. Uh, but then as technology advanced and the internet came along, we had MapQuest. Remember MapQuest? Uh, you would go in, you'd, you'd find the directions to where you're going. You'd print off all of those sheets and then whoever was in the passenger seat would, would automatically become the navigator who would have to read off all of those directions. I, I'm pretty sure uh, a lot of marriages failed because of MapQuest. Um, but then GPS, right? Garmin, TomTom, Tom, if you were lucky enough. Uh, you, you could purchase one of these and you could put it in your car and you could feel fancy, though most of the time the directions these gave you would lead you right into a river or off a cliff. Which brings us to today, we have it on our phones, right? Making maps and directions the most convenient and simple they've ever been. It's going to be interesting to see how this technolo technology continues to, to level up and advance um, how it continues to help us avoid getting lost, aid us in, help in, in finding exactly where we need to go and, and the best route to get there. Honestly, wouldn't it be nice if life had some technology like that? If, if we had a map of life showing us which roads we are supposed to take, which, which choices we are supposed to make, which, which roads are going to lead us to happiness, what roads are going to lead us to love, what roads are going to lead us to fulfillment, what roads are going to lead us to winning $1.2 billion. That'd be nice. But honestly, how often have you found yourself in life, on the road of life, not knowing which turn to take? And the truth is, we're lucky if we even get a small piece of the map right? We see, we see that small piece of the map and we hope that we can use it to find our way through life. Thankfully though, we, we have a God who loves us, a God who can see the, the whole map, the entire thing. He sees the big picture when we only see a piece of it. And God loves us so much that he wants to help us through life, even though we can't see the map like he can. That's why he's given us the Bible so that we can use it as our guide as we make our way through life. Uh, use it to navigate through life. It's what we use to learn how to connect and have a personal relationship with him. Everything in the Bible has come from God. God, all the writers of the Bible were inspired by God to write his words down so that everyone would be able to read them. Just like technology advances and, and levels up to a better version, God wants to show us how we can level up. 
God wants to show you how you can become the best version of yourself. And we can learn that by reading the Bible. But the question is, what's our first step? What's the first direction we take on our map quest of life? What can we do to level up to become God's best version of ourselves, the, the version that God wants us to be? What, what are the directions to get to that destination in life? In the book of John, Jesus explains exactly why he came to earth, exactly why he was going to have to suffer and be sacrificed. He said this, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In the New Testament, there's usually two words um, that were used for the, the word life. One word was bios. It's the root word for biology. It means natural life and is often used to refer to quantity of ordinary things that you do or encounter in life. The, the average time you, you do things like sleep or eat or, or go to the bathroom in your natural lifetime. But there's another word for life in the Bible. That word is Zoe. Zoe includes a bios kind of life, but it goes way beyond that. Again, by us, it's all about quantity, right? But, but Zoe, it's all about quality. Quality of life that comes from knowing God. It means abundant life. The kind of life that you were made for, the kind of life that will never end. When Jesus says that he has come so that they may have life, he uses the word Zoe for life. Jesus' desire is for us to have an abundant life, a life committed and connected to God. Often though, life doesn't feel so abundant, does it? Often it seems like we're more focused on the bios than the, the Zoe. God's trying to give us directions, lead us to where we need to be to become the best version of ourselves, trying to show us that Zoe life he desires for us. But on the road of life, we grow so much more concerned about the natural things that don't really matter. We're so much more concerned about the temporary bios things that will one day fade away. Jesus is there though, ready to encounter us, ready to lead us to where we need to go to experience that abundant life. As we travel down the road of life and, and we encounter Jesus, these encounters, they can be life-changing if we respond to them correctly. In the book of Acts, we find a man named Saul. Saul, he was dead set on making sure that the name of Jesus was not preached. In Jerusalem at the time, Saul was a key part of breaking up the church. Here's what the Bible says. Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. This man, Saul of Tarsus, his name was known and he was feared among Christians. After hurting the church in Jerusalem, he decides he wants to do the exact same thing in a, in a different city called Damascus. Here's what the Bible says. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who taught about Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now, why was the city Damascus so important? Well, there, there was a large growing community of Christians there, but also this city, a lot of trade routes went through the city. So traders, they would come to the city, they would rest there before continuing on to transport their goods. Uh, so if the name of Jesus was preached there, if the story of Jesus was preached, then that message could be carried to many other locations. 
So with the high priest's blessing, Saul starts his journey to Damascus to capture followers of Jesus and bring them back to Jerusalem to be punished. I'm sure at that point, Saul believed that he could see the whole map, right? He, he knew what the whole map of life looked like. He knew what he had to do and he was going to do it at any means necessary. His destination and the directions to get there was clear. Doing what he thought was right, doing what he was famous for, doing what made him feel good about himself. But in all actuality, he, he was going against God, forcing his own will while neglecting God's will. So often in life, it seems like we do the same, right? We think that we can see the whole map of life. We think that we have it all figured out and we get so focused on what we think is best, on what we want, on what we think is gonna make us feel whole and we neglect God. We allow the noise of the world to drown out his voice. And we find ourselves contemplating that empty feeling that we have inside. Why is it there? We, we've got the map. At least we think we do. We know what it takes to be happy in life, right? At least we think we do. We're pushing through life down road after road, trying to force our will, trying to get our way for what we think is going to make our life meaningful. But there always seems to be something missing, an empty feeling showing up as we try to close our eyes at night, a feeling leading us to believe that there has to be something more. But we shove it to the back of our head and we continue to move on down the road, just like Saul. And as Saul and his companions, they continued on their journey down the road to Damascus. Eventually on that road, they were gonna encounter something that would stop them in their tracks. Here's what the Bible says. On his journey, Saul approached Damascus. Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice speak to him, Saul, Saul, why are you opposing me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, he replied. I'm the one you are opposing. Arise and go into the city. There you will be told what you must do. As the heavenly light overwhelmed him, Saul was confronted by the true nature of his crime. He had been persecuting God, not man. The men who were traveling with Saul, they were left speechless. They had seen the light. They had, they had heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone there. They had no idea what to do. Imagine Saul at this point on his knees, his, his hands pressed against, his, against the ground, his eyes clenched in fear, still trying to wrap his head around what just happened. Saul starts to get up. He, he begins to open his eyes and then he realizes that he can't see anything. He, he's been blinded. Everything he thought he knew, this, this map of life that he thought that he could see so clearly, it all vanished along with his vision. He, he thought he knew what was waiting for him at the end of the road in Damascus, but that all changed when he encountered Jesus. And the same Jesus he had been fighting against met him there on that road. The same Jesus he had been opposing was seeking him out. Imagine Saul's thoughts just racing. His directions from Jesus had been clear, but would he obey? The words arise and go, they echoed in his head. So he started to get up onto his feet, but he couldn't see a thing. So his, his companions, they came and helped him up. And then they proceeded to lead him by hand into the city of Damascus. For three days, Saul was blind. He was so emotionally and mentally affected by his encounter that, uh, that he didn't eat or drink anything for all three days. 
His whole life was changing. Everything that he thought he knew about God and, and everything he thought pleased God, it all shifted in the presence of Jesus. In the three days of blindness and self-deprivation, Saul was dying to himself, letting go of everything that he thought he understood about the map of life. The Bible says that Saul at this point, he, he started to pray during this time, letting go of what he desired and hoping to embrace what God wanted of him now. Feeling an emptiness in his heart, floods of memories pouring into his mind of, of how he persecuted and opposed Jesus feeling broken at every thought, wondering what his life would look like now, no longer opposing Jesus, but now even praying to him, seeking Jesus's direction rather than his, his own. Uh, I remember one year I was heading back to college. Uh, my parents had this giant blue uh, conversion van and I had it packed full of all my stuff. I, it was my second year of college, so I felt like I knew exactly what I wanted and needed for my dorm room. And I just had so much stuff packed in that van. Um, but I remember the morning I was leaving, the, the morning I was moving back, as I was leaving the driveway, there, there was some hesitation. There was some fear and anxiety that kind of built up inside of me. And I, I thought, man, I, I kind of just want to stay here. I kind of don't even want to go back to college. But I, I shoved that thought to the side and I continued to make the three-hour drive to school thinking that once I get to school, everything's going to be normal. I'll feel better. No big deal. Once I got to the campus though and I, I pulled into the parking lot, I, I was wrong. I, I continued to feel that, uh, that fear and that anxiety and I began to feel like broken. Why was I feeling like this? I began to feel empty and, and began to feel like I just wanted to quit. I just wanted to leave. So I, di I didn't even unpack my van. Uh, I grabbed some clothes and some toiletries. I, I went into my dorm room and the next couple days I, I wrestled with the thought of quitting, uh, of just leaving college, heading home and living in my parents' basement. That's the dream, right? Um, but after a few days of, of worrying and, and thinking, my thoughts just caving in, not knowing what to do, feeling so conflicted, it, it was a Sunday. So I went to church on, on campus and um, we were supposed to go to a, a small group time with other classmates and stuff afterwards. And one of my friends says, hey, I'll see you there. And I'm like, yeah, sure. And then I snuck out the side door. And uh, I went to my dorm room, I grabbed my clothes, I grabbed my stuff, I got in the van and I just started to drive. I was driving around the country, down road after road. I had no idea where I was going. I, I was feeling lost, feeling disconnected, feeling like I didn't know what to do. Eventually though, I found myself at an intersection that I knew very well. Um, if I took a right here and I, and I headed down that road, that would lead me to the highway and that highway would lead me all the way home. And that's what I wanted. I knew that's what I wanted, but I, I didn't know if that was the right decision. And so I decided to pull over to the side of the road and just kind of stare at the intersection. No idea what direction to take. No idea of what could help me feel this emptiness I was feeling inside. What, what could help take away the feelings I was facing? Have you been there? Conflicted? Your thoughts just caving in on you on the road of life and uncertain of which turn to take, uncertain of what to do, feeling empty and broken, just wishing for a light that would light up a path that you could take. There was a man living in Damascus. His name was Ananias. 
He was a follower of Jesus, just an ordinary man who had surrendered to the belief that Jesus was the son of the living God. This ordinary man, maybe having an ordinary day, was about to experience an encounter that was extraordinary. Here's what the Bible says. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, arise and go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Now Ananias, he is more than willing to do what the Lord desires, right? But Saul from Tarsus, he questions aloud. This, this man, his name was known. He was hunting Christians. Uh, why would Ananias go and help him? But God insisted. He exclaimed for Ananias to go, basically saying, trust me. You don't see the whole map. You only see a small piece of it. You only see this small piece about Saul, but I can see the whole story. I can see his whole story. Arise and go. So Ananias, he made his way to the house where Saul was staying. You can imagine Ananias as he enters, he's hesitant. He's nervous. He's fearful. He's uncertain of how Saul is going to accept him. But as Ananias sees Saul, as he sees Saul in the state that he's in, as he sees him in his desperation, Ananias, he has sympathy for him. He approaches Saul and he gently places his hands on him. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. The act of Ananias laying his hands on Saul and the word brother, brother Saul, it powerfully communicated the love of God. Even if Saul could not see the love on Ananias' face, it was communicated through his touch and his voice. Immediately after Ananias spoke, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he was able to see again. And as those scales fell to the ground and as his vision was restored, as his eyes rested on Ananias' face, Saul experienced the glory of the Lord. There no longer feeling an emptiness in his heart, but feeling full, completely filled to the brim by the Holy Spirit. Saul had been broken by his encounter with Jesus, but God had no intention of leaving him broken. But Saul had needed to be broken so God could leave him filled. And as Saul regains his sight, not just physically, but spiritually as well, immediately, right away, he wants to be baptized. Immediately, he wants to identify with Jesus, no longer opposing him, but now embracing him. It's here in this moment we see Saul shifting focus from the bios to the zoe. It's here we see him level up by being baptized, now becoming the best version that God desired him to be. By being baptized, Saul is surrendering to the cross and allowing Jesus to become his future. Three days, three days of blindness, three days of deprivation, three days of dying to himself. It would only be after these three days that Saul would receive resurrection life from Jesus. Sitting on the side of that road, not knowing what to do, just staring at the intersection. 
overwhelmed in thought, overwhelmed with the fear and anxiety and the, the sense of brokenness? Why was I struggling with this, these thoughts? I decided the, the easiest thing to do would just be to go home. And I was leaning towards that. I decided I'm going to call my dad. And I, hopefully my dad's just going to say, yeah, just come home. So I call him. I explain everything that's going on. And, um, and he says, you know, whatever you decide, your mom and I, we're going to support you. But have you prayed about it? I said, no, I guess I haven't. I'd been so focused on the feelings I was feeling and, and trying to figure it out that I, I didn't even think to bring it to God. Even during the church service that morning, I, I was just zoned out, focused on myself. And he's like, well, do you have a Bible? And I was like, yeah, I have a Bible. He said, well, spend some time praying and, and read your Bible. That's not the answer I wanted to hear, right? I wanted to hear him say, come home. I said, Dad, I, I don't even know what to read right now. Why, why would I do that? He's like, well, here's something that I do if I don't know how to read. And he taught me something that day that I've used countless times since. And he, he said, simply close your eyes, hold up your Bible, open it and point. I say, okay, I guess I can do that. Um, so I hang up the phone. I start to pray. I'm crying out to God, asking for direction. And then I hold my Bible and I clench my eyes tight, can't see a thing. And I just pray that God would lead me, that he would show me what he wanted. I opened my Bible and I, I pointed, hoping he would direct my finger. And as I opened my eyes and I looked at the scripture that my finger had landed on, it was the story of Jonah. I sat there on the side of the road reading the story of Jonah. Jonah was running from God. God wanted Jonah to do something and Jonah was just running the other way. And as I read that story, I just felt God saying over and over, it's gonna be hard, but it's gonna be worth it. It's gonna be hard, but it's gonna be worth it. And I knew immediately that I was not supposed to quit college, but I was supposed to stay, that that was the direction that God wanted me to take. And, and even though I was still uncertain, even though I was fearful, I closed my Bible. I started the van and I made a U-turn and headed back to campus. Once I got there, I began to unpack my van. And I am so glad that I followed God's direction that day because I had no idea what he had in store for me that year. Later that year, I would get the chance to go on a mission trip to Puerto Rico. And that trip absolutely changed my life. Had I quit college I never would have gotten to go on that trip. Who knows what my life would look like now. But there on the side of the road, I could not see the whole map. I could not see what God had planned. But as I followed his direction, it led me to the dream that he had for my life. You know what the name Ananias means? The Lord is gracious. How fitting, right? In Saul's brokenness, he was met with God's grace. In my brokenness on the side of the road, I was met with God's grace. There's going to be times in life where we don't know what road to take. We don't know what turn to take. When we seek God's direction, though, he will not lead us astray. There are roads that we are going to face in life that will be hard, but they will be worth it because those roads, they lead to the life Jesus desires for us. Jesus wants us so badly to have life and to have it to the fullest. Quality life with God, quality life understanding his ways, understanding his love for everyone. And as we make our way through life down road after road, though there are hard roads, 
Though we can't see the whole map, we can trust that God is with us, leading us. And even when we are not seeking him, he's seeking us out, ready to encounter us on that road, ready to give us grace, ready to give us direction. When you encounter him, how will you respond? Because it wasn't the encounter that changed Saul. Are you with me? It wasn't the encounter that changed Saul, but it was how Saul responded to the encounter. Me on the side of the road that day, as I encounter God, I had to choose how I would respond. The first way we respond as we meet God, as we encounter God on the road of life is we listen. Listen for God in your life and follow his directions. Spend time reading your Bible. Spend time praying. He will lead you. And as you listen, you discover God's dream for your life. You discover steps to take to become the best version of yourself. Uh, The next response is surrender. We surrender and submit to his ways. In our brokenness, we surrender to him. Not only will he mend us back together, but he will also fill us with what we need. He has no intention of leaving us broken. And through that, in that surrender to Jesus, we will experience breakthrough. Our life will never be the same after that. Lastly, as we encounter God on that road, we can respond with trust. We listen, we surrender. It leads us to trusting God, trusting that he's going to lead us through anything we face in life, that his plans for us are good. Even if we can't see the whole map, even if it's hard at times, we know that it's worth it. We don't know the whole story, but we know that God does. And we can trust him and know that he works everything for good. Listen, surrender, trust. By doing those three things, we're allowing Jesus to redirect our lives way beyond the bios life, right? Life to the fullest, filled to the brim with abundance of Zoe life. What does living those three responses out look like? It's baptism. It's baptism. Baptism is how we achieve that level up. Baptism is the first step to becoming the version of yourself that God desires you to be. God's best version of you, it starts with baptism. Through baptism, you listen to God's direction. You surrender to his direction and you trust his direction. Think about Saul, right? Saul's story, everything that he went through after his encounter with Jesus on that road, it all led to him being baptized, completely surrendering him, completely sur- trusting his directions. And maybe you know the rest of Saul's story, right? Maybe you know the rest of what Saul goes through. If you don't, eventually Saul's name is changed to Paul. This man, Saul of Tarsus, who had opposed and fought against Jesus, he becomes the apostle Paul sometime after his baptism. He's responsible for writing most of the New Testament in the Bible. Talk about breakthrough, right? Talk about leveling up. In the book of Romans, one of the books in the Bible that Paul wrote, he said this about baptism. This is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into a new country of grace, a new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace, sovereign country, in our brokenness. 
in our self-deprivation, blind and unable to see, sick and tired of making wrong turn after wrong turn down the road of life, as we're lowered into the water, as we lay that broken and deprived life to rest and we bury it for good, we are raised up out of the water, no longer blind, no longer deprived, no longer broken, but our eyes wide open, the scales have been removed, wide open to a light-filled world full of hope, joy, and peace. A new life by the grace of God, no matter how much technology changes, right? No matter how much the world changes, his love and his grace, that never changes. His promise to you for a new life, that never changes. Through baptism, we allow the power of God to take effect on our lives. Through baptism, we declare that Jesus is our Lord. And because of what he did on the cross, we can have new life. Because of what Jesus did, uh, what Jesus did on the cross and not only forgives our past, but it recreates our future. And the truth is, sometimes we play the role of Saul, right? But other times we play the role of Ananias. Whatever role we find ourselves playing at certain times in life, we must be ready to respond to God as he says, arise and go. And as we arise and go at his command, trusting him no matter what, that's when you know. That's when you know that you are living an abundant life. That's when you see yourself as God's best version of you because you're no longer living for yourself. You're, instead, you're living for the glory of God. No matter what I face in life, if, if all that I see is the glory of God, then so be it. A life lived for his glory is a life lived in abundance. And my friends, that is a life that never ends. Here's what Paul says about the freedom and life received through baptism. But now that you found, you don't have to listen to sin. Did you hear that? Now that you, now that you found, you don't have to listen to sin, tell you what to do. And you have discovered the delight of listening to God telling you what a surprise, a whole healed, put together life right now with more and more life on the way. Work hard for sin your whole life and your pension is death. But God's gift is real life, eternal life delivered by Jesus. If you're here today and you're ready to take that step uh, and, and you would like to be baptized, then we're gonna be down here to help you. If, you. if you're ready to say goodbye to the emptiness and say hello to the fullness of God, say goodbye to the scales and say hello to God's vision, ready to discover his dream for your life, the version of you that he desires you to be, the life he desires for you, an abundant life that never ends. No matter what road you feel like you're on today, in the middle of the road, in the middle of the struggle, he is not through. Though you can't see the whole story, he sees it. The Lord is gracious and he is seeking you out. And right now, as you sit or as your home, is he saying to you, arise and go? Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.